Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. I am Rob Clark, your host, and with me as always, my co-host, Mr. Ed Katz. How you doing, buddy? Good afternoon, listeners, and Rob Clark. I hope you're having a great day. It's not 95 degrees today here in Mississippi. It's around 70-something. We're so happy. You're in it's the 70s? Finally, yes. <laughs> uh, we're still hitting 90. We're right at the 90-91, and I'm so looking forward to that fall 70s weather. We haven't had rain in 27 days. It's really dry here. Oh, is that right? Yes. Yeah, we're pretty dry here as well. So, you ready to uh, jump into today's topic and uh, have, have a little fun ready. discussion? Uh, everybody who clicked on this can, can see that the topic is how to improve the quality of service. And Ed, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think we're talking about kind of from an operations standpoint, what we deliver to the client, how we get it from, you know, the operation side out and actually execute for the customer. You are spot on. That's what we want to drill down into today. Okay. So let's, let's talk about this, Ed. Um, my thought would be before you can improve the quality of what you're doing, we have to kind of know what the customers are expecting, wanting, you know, and it's kind of a vague, what do they want? We're not getting into the weeds on this. We're kind of being general, aren't we? Well, shame on a salesperson if he or she thinks what they want is the cheapest price. I feel, and I've been in this industry a long, long time, most clients that I know when I had my moving company wanted the move first and, and foremost to finish on time so they can open for a business the next working day. If they don't finish the move in one day and it's supposed to go eight hours and it doesn't finish, then what happens when the employees go to the new location and half their furniture and contents are still at the old location? They're out of business. Their overhead continues, but no revenue. So I think they want the job to finish on time, obviously within budget, and they want no damage, no damage to the furniture, no damage to the computers, the copiers. And also they are moving into a palace, new walls, new carpet, new doors, new everything. They want the real property, the floors, the doors, the elevators, the hallways. They want no damage. And that may be unrealistic, but that's what they want. Okay, that sounds reasonable, Ed, that that's what, you know, the customer should want and should get, but how do you manage those expectations with the client? I they, think, they hear no damage and they're going to think absolutely zero. Like you're almost giving them a guarantee. I agree with you. I think you want to under promise and over service. We never said that we guarantee no damage. I mean, moving furniture is risky. Did you ever see the way furniture and electronics come from the factory? It's it's really wrapped a lot. It could be crated. It could be boxed and crated. It could be palletized. So styrofoam that's made to fit it. Styrofoam, that's right. And the the client, the customer could never afford to pay the mover to repackage it the way it came from the factory. So there's a big risk when it's not wrapped and packaged that way. So we always said we will do everything humanly possible to minimize, to minimize 
the risk of damage. Key word there. Minimize to not just the furniture and the electronics, but also to the real property, the, the walls, the carpet, the parquet floor. We're going to do everything we can to minimize the risk of damage. But, you know, I, I used to say only one person walked on water and it wasn't me or my employees. So we're going to just minimize the risk of damage. Okay. You say that the customer hears it, but what else can you do? Are there any, you know, actions that you can take to make sure that, uh, you're confident as the salesperson that you've clearly went over this with the, with the customer that they know well, what the processes are going to be. Right. Well, my prejudice is the salesperson does not run the job that he estimated that that's operations. I always like to keep salespeople out of operations and more and more moving companies in this day and age realize they can't get salespeople that want to work 80 hours a week. You know, you get to work 40 hours a week quoting jobs, right? Yeah. Between eight and five. And, and then guess what? You can make double your salary by working weekday evenings, weekends, and holidays. I mean, who in the right mind in this day and age wants right. to work like that? That's not going to happen. So in order to have a smooth transition so that sales can hand, hand the job off to operations, at IOMI, the International Office Moving Institute, our school, we preach and teach, you've got to have a very specific scope of services. In other words, in writing to the client, to the prospect, it, the scope of services clearly defines what the customer's responsibilities are and what the mover's responsibilities are so that the salesperson does not have to run the job so that we can give it to a supervisor who follows standard operating procedures, again, different from the scope of services, and follows the specific job description, what's going to happen on the job, and follows it line by line. Okay. So I want to say something here before I get to my next question because I, I have a question. Um, you're making me think of some things that I think might be a tease for another episode. There, there are some things that, cause when you say these things, I think all movers might be saying similar things. And so I think there's some, what we might call differentiators that we should probably get into, but I think that should be another episode. I, I would think that we could dive pretty deep into a lot of things that per IOMI, we should be doing to differentiate ourselves from our competitors. You agree? I agree 100%. And I believe that would be a great topic. So we'll make that a future episode for sure. But I agree with you 100%. Back to, back to the scope of work. You, you, you type up this great scope of work and you send it off. And, uh, you know, either in an attachment or in the body of the email, we know how a lot of people are. They don't up open attachments. They don't read the whole, you know, email. How do you, how do you ensure that the customer read the scope of services? Believe it or not, we never read it to our customers when we made a sales presentation. Uh -oh. because I know where you're well, going. Well, think about it. It's all negative. The customer has to do the packing. Customer has to have the copier company come in and prepare the copier. You have to prepare all your computers and back them up before we get there. And, and you're going to be responsible. All these things that the customer has to do, and then you're going to spell out what the movers are going to do. So we... We didn't read that. What we would do is we, again, this is for this other podcast we're going to do on 
differentiating yourself. We said, here are the benefits to you if you hire our moving company. This is how we are going to minimize the risk of damage to your furniture, your electronics, and the building you're moving from it to. And we would also say we use a proprietary formula for estimating that's based on man hours, not on the household good cube in pounds. And we factor everything down to the smallest detail into account so that the estimate we're giving you now is an honest reflection of what your move is all about. So again, we were selling the benefits. We didn't read, we didn't read the scope of services and they didn't want to read it. They, were, they wanted, after we made our sales presentation, what's the price? So they look at their price. Okay. That makes me think about a question that I think has to be pretty typical or, or an issue that could come up. Uh, in that scope of services or when you did that walkthrough, you have that external client, right, that you're, you're, you're getting the business from and, and want to do a good job for. Then you have your internal clients, you know, the operations department and the crew that's actually going out to service this job. So I'm thinking you, you're going to write up this nice scope of services. You're going to have discuss with the client what's going, not going. They're supposed to only label things that we're moving. We give that instruction. But we know, Ed, when you go out to a job, it happens a ton, that things that weren't supposed to move now have a label on it mysteriously. And we also know that crews are taught generally in the industry that if it has one of our labels on it, it's meant to be moved. If it doesn't, then it's not being part of this, this relocation. How do you address that and handle that so we don't you know, get stuck moving things we're not supposed to? Right. In other words, I think what you're saying is if the movers see a label on it, they're going to move it regardless of what the estimate was based on. Let's pretend the uh, salesperson did an estimate and the client said at the time of the estimate, we're getting all new reception room, room furniture. So that's not going. So a good salesperson who would take our training, IOMI training, would say in writing, everything is going except the reception room furniture. Mm -hmm. Or let's say that the customer says, oh yeah, and by the way, don't count any chairs. We're getting 50 brand new chairs from Steelcase. They're going to deliver that with the reception room furniture to our new location. So then in writing, we would teach and preach that the uh, scope of services actually line items and says the moving company will do the following, move everything except the reception room furniture and all the chairs. They're not going. In the meantime, how do we make this happen with operations? One of the most important things we teach with IOMI is how to dispatch so that the crew does not move everything that has a label on it if they're not supposed to, if that's not part of the estimate. What if it's a load and go, load and deliver? And we have exactly two truckloads of volume we're moving. And if they're supposed to move everything except the reception room furniture and the chairs and they get there and the customer has labeled everything because in this example, steel case dropped the ball. They didn't make their delivery. Well, you know, and I know they're not going to fit everything on two trucks in addition to 50 chairs and the reception room furniture. So now we got a problem. They're going to have to make a second trip, maybe during rush hour, maybe 45 minutes away to the destination. I mean, that clock keeps ticking, right? 
So now the job doesn't finish on time for the price quoted. We got a problem. And the job, instead of going eight hours, goes 10 hours. Maybe the guys are tired. Maybe they have some accidents while they're moving the furniture. All these things, all these bad things can happen. And now the client's so, not happy. And the client is not happy. And the movers are always guilty until proven innocent, right? It's right. your mover's fault. And if the customer, uh, if, if we dispatch properly the IOMI way, the copy of the scope of services from the estimate that clearly defined what the customer was responsible for and what the movers are responsible for. That's going to go with the supervisor out to the job. But more than that, and more importantly than that, the dispatcher is going to read the scope of services, what the customer is responsible for and what the movers are responsible for at dispatch time and have the supervisor parrot it back, paraphrase it back in their own words so that when at dispatch time, everybody knows what's going on in this job. So when they get out to the job, if there are labels on everything, this is what I'd like to cover in our next podcast. And the supervisor knows that the chairs and the reception room furniture are not going. How does he deal with it? How does he handle it? But do you see why the, it's so important to have a very specific scope of services that line items, everything that's supposed to happen? But you're, you're talking about dispatching and the crews and the supervisors and making sure they understand the scope of services. What if there's a company that uses 100% subcontractors? And I know from Iomi, you know, we, we would like to be 100% employees or at least a blend of our employees. But what if they're 100% subcontractors for whatever reason and the subcontractors don't get dispatched from from the uh, warehouse, they go straight to the job. How, how do you tackle that one? That's a great question that I don't have the answer to because if the person running the job is not dispatched from the base, from the company, the moving company, and doesn't experience the drill I just described where dispatcher reads the scope of services to that supervisor or project manager, and then that project manager or supervisor validates communication and regurgitates it, paraphrases it back to the dispatcher at dispatch time to confirm that that's what's going to happen on the job. And if you're telling me instead that subcontractor goes straight to the job without the scope of services, we're going to have major problems. You know, maybe the scope of services said that the customer will do all the packing except the movers when they get there will pack all the common areas. Well, there might be 15 lateral file cabinets in a file room that are totally full. And the uh, moving company agreed, and that was in the estimate, that the movers would pack all the contents of the lateral file cabinets. Well, without this validation of the communication of what was in the estimate, uh, and the contractor goes straight to the job with his employees, and there are 15 lateral file cabinets filled with contents, and he doesn't know he's supposed to empty and pack the contents of all the drawers, he might try to manhandle them and move them full, causing them to rack or torque, destroy them. Somebody might get hurt. I mean, you have all these issues. So I would say this. If... You use a contractor for 
rendering the service, the contractor who's running the job, his supervisor, his foreman, his project manager has to still go to the base, pick up the scope of services, validate the communication that he understands what's going to happen and then go to the job and meet his crew there. If it's a blended crew where we have hourly employees from the moving company mixed in with the contractor, the hourly employees who's ever responsible for running that job, hopefully the hourly employee is the supervisor from the moving company, right? That would make sense. Yeah. That supervisor, that project manager goes through the IOMI drill, the process of validating the communication. And of course, if everyone is hourly and they're dispatched from the moving company, it's a no brainer. Same process again. So uh, if, if, if somebody were to respond and say, well, we email it to our subcontractors, the paperwork, to me, you still don't have control to make sure that the communication and the understanding was there. And ultimately, it's your, your customer. So you need to make sure that that has been done. That's a great point. And here's what happens in the real world. Okay. So it's emailed to the contractor. And that's like at dispatch time, that's no different than at dispatch time. If he's the dispatcher is not IOMI trained, he gives the paperwork, which is the copy of the scope of services. He gives it to the supervisor and says, here, read this. Let me know if you have any questions. So you really think that he's captured the supervisor mentally and physically. No, the guy looks at it. He knows when he gets there, if there's a label on it, what's he going to do? It's going to, he's going to move it. He's not reading the scope of services. He knows how to run jobs. He's been doing it for all these years, right? Sure. So he, he's thinking, gee, where are we going to go to lunch today? And let's see, we're going to be on the North side of the city. Uh, I think there's McDonald's and Wednesday's Wednesday, and Wendy's are there. That's what he's thinking. He's not reading the scope of services. <laughs> yeah. And he goes out to the job and he gets to the job. You think he reads the scope of services when he gets to the job? No, because he gets there and there's a pickup truck parked, locked, empty, locked at the loading dock. And there's one loading dock and he wants to back his truck up to the loading dock. He can't. So what's going through is we're going to find a guy that owns that pickup truck and get him to move his pickup truck so we can start this move. Or he has two or three of his employees saying, hey, hey, uh, how long is this job going to run? I need to be off by 4.30 today. I mean, this is the real world of what goes on when or, they arrive or, to the job. Or he just goes up and says, I'll just walk the space. I can see it, and then I know what I'm doing. Right, exactly. Yeah. So there will be no relationship in this example between the scope of services that clearly defines who's responsible for what and what happens on the job. Again, if the chairs didn't come in or the reception room furniture wasn't delivered, they're going to have labels on everything. That's just the way life is. And he's going to try to move everything and the job's going to take longer, cost more, and there might be damage if there's fatigue on the job. Well, let me ask you this as our last question for, for part one of this, this episode. How important is it to have the proper crew on a job that gets dispatched with the right skill set. Cause we're talking about, you need certain guys depending on the logistics of the job to dolly up and, you know, be on the ramp or lift it. We know all this. How important is that? That's really important. At our company, when I had my moving company, we matched the needs of the job with the skill experience of the employees who were going to be on the job. And we had some jobs where we had a supervisor could run. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. We had 
jobs, big jobs, complex jobs, where the supervisor could can actually manage and supervise 30, 35 employees. I kid you not. But that same supervisor, if you sent him out on a small job where we had to uh, pick up and deliver furniture from one location to another and hit five or six stops in the same day for this client, he'd go crazy. He didn't have patience for something like that. Right. So again, based on who we were going to put on the job, that was 100% tied to what's, what is the scope of services. We used um, a halfway house to backfill non-essential job positions on a, on a crew. So if we had 50 or 60 employees going out on a weekend and we had a large van rotation where we were simultaneously sending and receiving and the trucks were going round robin and we were going to move 8, 10, 12 truckloads in an 8, 9-hour period, we would backfill with temporary labor in non-critical positions, not placing the furniture on the dolly, not running the elevator, not working on the ramp or lift gate, not loading the truck, but the pushers that pushed it once it was on a dolly to the elevator, or the pushers that pushed it from the elevator exit and in the lobby out to the ramp or lift gate. So we could use these uh, unskilled, uh, very little or no experience uh, employees in those non-critical areas. However, before we sent them out on the job, they had to sit and watch a 15-minute audio-visual training program so they knew what to anticipate and what to do out on the job. We didn't want a client going up to one of these temporary labor guys and say, hey, we want you to uh, come over here and move this copier because we taught them if the client the contact comes up to you and asks you to do something, you will 100% of the time say, excuse me, let me get the supervisor. He'll make that happen. Little nuances like that. They weren't permitted to wear sunglasses inside the building on the job. Obviously, no drugs, no alcohol. Work on the floors and the areas where we're doing the move. You go to another floor, you're subject to being arrested, and we won't be able to help help you. I mean, all these little rules and regulations were taught to the temporary labor. So when they got out on the job, it was very easy for them to know what to do. All those things are important, but I think sometimes people hear pusher and go, well, that's, that's just really simple. And, and to some degree it is, but there's still a proper way to push certain types of furniture so we minimize that risk of damage too. So that's also important. I think you bring up a very good point. Well, we also taught them our number one goal when you go out is what? And we hear, make the customer happy. And I said, yeah. no, it's not. Your number one goal is don't get hurt and don't let anybody on your crew get hurt. In other words, if you start pushing a large executive desk on a high-rise dolly and it's not real steady or stable, and you think it might fall off the dolly, stop and get the supervisor involved and tell him you need help. Yeah. And then we really reinforced that. And that related to damage because if the desk falls off, yeah, it might injure the employee or the, another employee working in the area, or it might go through a glass window or a, hit a wall. So all these things were tied together. But the number one goal in taking a job up was always the same. Don't get hurt. Don't let anybody on your crew get hurt. Be careful. Absolutely. I think that's a good stopping point for this episode. 
on how to improve quality of service. This is part one. We're going to come back with part two. Ed, fun conversation. I look forward to continuing this in the next uh, episode. Are you inviting me back? Always. You have an open invitation, Mr. Katz. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Commercial Relocation Happy Hour. And until our next episode, go sell another move.